0: Hello and welcome to the Steepoo's Benson podcast. It's good to come to you here today. This is episode twenty-three. I'm calling this episode "Surviving Spiritual Abuse." I want to do about a three-week series on spiritual abuse for the podcast. In my work here at Columbine United Church, I often come in contact with people who've had to survive spiritual abuse. They've uh, they've grown up or they've broken away from fundamentalist churches or evangelical Christian churches that have just stifled their soul, and some of them have left church for a long period of time, and they have come to Columbine as a part of their own spiritual journey, wanting to be a part of Christianity in some way, shape, or form, but a form of Christianity that is liberating for their soul and not suffocating for their soul. And I have three people who have profound stories that I want to share with you. The first person I want to share with you is an interview I had with Susie Burke. Susie Burke is a member here at Columbine. I've known her for over 16 years. Susie has a profound story about growing up in a satanic cult as a child. It is a really Moving, moving and disturbing story about a satanic cult and how satanic cults are alive and well, even in Denver, yet here t- today. And she talks about how as an adult she had to come to terms with her memories of being in a satanic cult. And after years of therapy, she came to a place of healing and wholeness. I really want to encourage you to listen to this and maybe to share this podcast with other people who might be wrestling with severe depression, who have grown up in fundamentalism, and maybe. maybe. Maybe at their worst have survived a satanic cult and they don't know where to go and how to find a sense of healing. Susie's story is compelling, but if you live through something uh, similar to this, she will help you see that your situation, your story is real and that you are a person who deserves to live a healed whole life. So here's my interview with Susie Burke. The interview lasts right at about 40 minutes. I would encourage you to listen all the way through the end because she brings us back to a space, place of God's healing in the middle of her life. Here's my interview with Susie Burke. So I'm really excited to be here today with a good friend of mine, Susie Burke. Susie is a member here at Columbine United Church. Uh, Susie, tell me something about yourself. Who are you?
1: Huh. That's a good question. Tough question, actually. <laughs> um, well, I'm a nurse and a therapist. Um, I'm a mom. I'm a grandma. They call me Oma. Um, How many
0: grandkids do you have?
1: I have a three, a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And I'm a gardener, and I'm a church member.
0: And you're married to Dave.
1: I am married to Dave. Yep.
0: Perfect. Good. So one of the things that I have a lot of respect for you is that you are a healer. When I think about Susie Burke, I think about somebody who is a healer. Tell me about who you are as a healer and your career as a healer.
1: I started uh, being a nurse, registered nurse, you know, a long time ago now, graduated in 1972, kind of scary. Um, And I worked in critical care for mm, the first half of my career. Mm -hmm. And then I got married to Dave um, and we moved and I didn't want to be a nurse anymore. It was just too much work, too Mm -hmm. hard on my back as a, I was a critical care nurse. And I decided to go into uh, counseling. And my husband, Dave, said, here's a program for you. You need to do this. So uh, it, it wasn't a program for adults learning, and because we had two little kids at the time. And so I started going to school when the littlest one was in kindergarten. And then I graduated from there and moved again with Dave's job. And I just couldn't um, get a job working in schools because I was overqualified from my California education. and so. That was just disconcerting. So I decided to go get my doctorate in psychology and go into private practices, which is what I did. So I did that for probably another 15 or 20 years. It seems hard to believe. Um, Yeah, yeah, really. I'm old. (laughs) It's hard for me to believe I've been retired for three years. And so I started working um, with children originally. And then I moved on to families and um, married people. And then I started to work, later on in life, I started to work with uh, trauma, people who were traumatized when they were children.
0: Traumatized when they were children, what got you into that?
1: It, it's a, I'll make it quick as I can. Um, it really, it started because I went through a period of just severe depression, just unrelenting, unable to get out of bed, couldn't move, Um, Didn't want to live depression, which I, I mean, there's depression comes in different forms. And I was severe, not psychotic, but severe. And um, at that point, I I called the person who taught me a lot uh, about counseling, and he helped me. And I eventually learned about the severe trauma that I had experienced in my early childhood, which I had repressed and put in different parts of myself. So I went through that for about 10 years of therapy, and I learned a great deal about how to work with severely traumatized people. And that, with his help, gave me the courage and the education between my doctorate and my own personal journey gave me the strength and I thought the really know-how and the empathy to be able to work with people who were traumatized as children.
0: And you know... It's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you today is, is your uh, trauma as a child mm-hmm. and how it affected your life. You know, one of the things that is important to me is healing people from spiritual abuse. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people who are victims of spiritual abuse and want to try to find, bring them to a sense of wholeness in their life. Mm-hmm. And when I heard your story for the first time, I, I was my jaw dropped. I was shocked. You know, I'd, I'd heard about ritual spiritual abuse, but... Had never actually talked with someone who I knew and respected who had lived through it, mm-hmm. and so what I'd like to have you do is for the people who listen to this podcast, um, tell us about your childhood, tell us about your teenagers. Mm-hmm. What was it that you lived through? What is ritual? Uh, what is ritual abuse? Um, there's a probably a psychological definition, mm-hmm. but there's also probably Susie Burke has a definition of mm-hmm. ritual abuse. Um, what what is ritual abuse?
1: And I'm going to give you the the clinical um, definition. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it from a ritual abuse website that I like, which is ritualabuse.us. Um, and ritual abuse is a methodical abuse. Uh, it often uses indoctrination. Uh, it has mind control and torture in its uh, and it's done by cults, uh, cult members. It is a really profound torture um there's physical abuse sexual abuse emotional abuse mind control torture is involved it's just amazing Um, it it goes on for years it usually starts when you're very young and it goes on for mine was about 10 years
0: are you comfortable talking about it oh yeah so very much so so let's dive in a little bit tell me what what the ritual abuse looked like for you when you were a child
1: I'm gonna to try to see if I can do this, and and how I kind of started to rem- remember it. It started as a severe depression, and when I started to have the memories come back. How old were you when you
0: had the depression?
1: Um, I think 30 something.
0: And so that's when you started having flashbacks. Yes, back yes, to your
1: that's when that's when the depression was really pronounced, um, and that's when I went into therapy, and I tried different people, and it didn't work. So that's when I had a call, a person who taught me therapy and it started with headaches and depression and headaches um that's not uncommon with severe depression um and people who have dissociative identity disorder which is where this all ended up being uh, at the end and kind of the middle of this therapy i realize that but that comes from severe long-term abuse as a child mine had uh, instances of um
0: Let's go back. Talk about okay. it as a kid. Talk okay. about it as a what happened as a little kid.
1: As a as a, this is kind of how this goes in, in your mind. I have to I have to help myself remember this because it doesn't start out with the worst. It, 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 the mind is sort of like an onion, and you, it starts out with kind of the peripheral trauma. And then as you continue into therapy, it would kept getting worse and worse and worse, and the memories kept getting worse and worse and worse, and the nightmares kept getting worse and worse and worse, until I found myself being a two-year-old in the basement of a church with a knife in my hand, uh, stabbing, I thought, a baby on an altar. I think it was a doll um, after... Years of therapy, but that was the worst memory. So, but that didn't come until like the very end of the ten years of therapy, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's when a part of me started to show up. And I, that part, I called Zelda, and that Zelda part um, was so put away and so protected by all the other parts that was built around because of all the previous trauma. As she was a little older, so there were times when I had holes all over my head. I would wake up and I felt these holes all over my head, and I I just couldn't figure out what was going on. And it was uh, the memory came that it was a crown of thorns put on my head, and that's where that they had stuck it on my head.
0: So I how had, old are you? When they, they, um, and who is it that's doing this abuse? Who is this?
1: This this is. Cult members, this, this was, this was uh, some of this abuse was in the basement of the church, the Catholic church that I grew up in. Wow. Um, wow. It was, um, <laughs> wow. Uh, my father was involved, and a lot of uh, his friends and associates, some of them were, you know, doctors, dentists, priests.
0: Um, Wait, was it a um, satanic cult?
1: This was a satanic cult. It, not all ritual abuse, I don't know, I mean... We we try in my profession not to use the word satanic cult because it just freaks people out right away. Mm-hmm. So they usually leave that word out. So when I wrote the book called Honus, my healing journey from ritual abuse, I purposefully let out that word. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, mine was satanic uh, abuse. So there was chaining onto the altar. There how, how, was whoa
0: whoa 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 chaining, chaining. onto the altar. Oh, yeah. That's, so a, first of all, as a two-year-old, as a two-year-old, you are you are. You think you're stabbing yes. a baby, yes? And then you're chained to the altar. How yes. old are you when you are chained to the altar? I,
1: it, the memory is, you know, are, are probably around. I I think three, four, five. Um, wow. When this was really at its height for me, uh, it is when in therapy when I would would start with these memories. They always started as ab reactions, because what's, a, what's an ab reaction? Ab reaction. Okay, let me help see if I can make this real clear. There's a big fight in the, in the psychological community about uh, repression. I believe there is a such thing as repression, I lived it. And Basil Bonacock and some of the hotshots shots in the trauma world and the psycho- psychotherapy world really understand this. And they talk about two kinds of memory, declarative memory and iconic memory and traumatic versus non-traumatic, basically traumatic memory goes into the body it's stored in the body so it's Mm. called somatization which is body so my memories were not in my frontal cortex where declarative memory non-traumatic memory goes and is processed in picture format but traumatic memory is stored in the body so you have body memories so they're body memory so ab reaction or revivification is you relive the trauma So before you relive the trauma, however, you start to... For me, I started to have nightmares, headaches. um, The depression was profound. Um, And then I would start having... As as the repression, and I believe in repression, starts to lift, and these memories start to come into consciousness or into the frontal cortex in picture format, the body shows... It shows up in the body first. Hmm. So I had moments of all of a sudden I was in shock. I would physically be in shock. Uh, so I was reliving a trauma. And once that trauma became conscious, once I could see the picture, it would instantly go away. And I used to say to my therapist, this is like black magic, which now scares me to even say black magic, um, because it would just go away instantly, instantly. I could be in shock one second. And I had a therapist that would answer his phone because he knew, um, that we were dealing with some very severe trauma issues, and he would pick up the phone, and I'd be crying, screaming, and saying, I'm in shock, I'm vomiting, I, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die, I'm going to die here. And he would say, you know, his way of doing it was with timeline therapy, and that's a whole other discussion another day, was say, go inside and look, What? where are you, see where you're at, let your unconscious mind see the picture. And once the picture became forward and I would see it, the trauma and the body would stop, just instantly stop. So I had lots of that. There were lots and lots of that. From from going into shock a couple times to uh arms hurting where they stuck needles um felt like bee stings in my arms and they
0: stuck needles in your arms.
1: Needles in my arms they put you to sleep because my, my father was an anaesthetist. So I think they used drugs as part of this um Um, abuse part of the ritual abuse and there were so I had body memories of my antecubital space where I believe they put needles Um,
0: and so this is when we say ritual abuse mm -hmm. so is it ritual as far as like in a in a church on an altar yes um, using yes. some of the the pyramids, if you will, of the yes. church too. Robes,
1: or robes. robes candles, yeah, sometimes candles they candles, black candles in a circle. Yes,
0: pentagram, pentagram, pictures mm-hmm. of a goat. Uh, some yes, satanic some, pictures. Some, sometimes
1: yeah. of goats. Sometimes a cross is upside down.
0: Cross is upside mm-hmm, down. Mm-hmm. Are they worshiping Satan?
1: Um, you no, know, I was only what. Five, you know, Mm -hmm. from two to this, this went on starting at two for about 10 years. So I don't, didn't know that that's what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I just have these memories and I'm assuming that's what they were doing Mm -hmm. because there was celebration at the end and there was drinking of blood. I think it was wine, but I don't know that. But they were,
0: they were drinking out of a chalice. Part of the ritual was that they celebrated that it was blood.
1: Yes, and it was out of a chalice. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was um, representative of, of how you, if you went into a church, right, and you see an altar and a cross and mm-hmm. chalices and people in robes, you think of it as um, a religious type of ceremony. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I think it was a ritual abuse. I think it was satanic ritual abuse because it was done um, the opposite of, of why I go to church here.
0: So they change you to an altar. Why would they do that?
1: Well, because you run. You know, you I, run. I remember. Oh. Yeah, I remember running at one point when I was really struggling. One day, um, I thought I was going to run out of the plate glass window in my house, and I started uh, running. Uh, and
0: <laughs> it's okay. Keep on talking.
1: Drop to my knees and just sobbed and called my therapist and he did what he does and he you know just breathe go inside look around go on your timeline where are you at and I was in the church and I was about five and I was running and he said okay now bring in your resources so he did a lot of resources using spiritual resources so he would say bring in your spiritual resources And for me, coming from a Christian background, mine were Christ and Mary and Joseph. Usually Christ was first, and he would show up, and Mary would show up, and he'd say, "Have," and then Mary would pick her up, or Christ would pick her up, and he'd say, let's get out of here. And then we'd leave the church in my thinking, and he would help me do that, and then we would process that that memory and that event we would look for the decisions that i made as a child we would do a healing with he always had me uh, go into christ and have a healing light come into the little girl's head and come through her body and ask if there's any questions and if she is okay and once her eyes started to sparkle and she felt safe um then we could end that session
0: so go back to your childhood. Crowns of thorns jammed on your head. Mm-hmm. Um, what other thing? What are, as you grow older? What what did the ceremonies look like?
1: Um, you know, I, I don't have. It's it's not like it's a declarative memory. It, it's pieces of memory. So the, the pieces that I remembered were, you know, being in in a church basement. There was an altar there. They they would have robes on. They would celebrate with. It felt like I was, at one point, you know, instructed to stab this baby, which, again, I don't know if that was a baby or a doll, because I think they could do both. I was little. I, anything that they told me, I believed, right? Mm-hmm. At two, you think Santa Claus is there, mm-hmm. and you think all of those things. So for me, when they said that, I believed that. Mm-hmm. And the memory that I had of doing that, it was um, very much um, a celebration, there was a lot of celebrating around that. That I had.
0: What is that? What do you mean celebration? Um, a lot that? of
1: raising up of the chalices and a lot of joy. And they they seemed to f- filled with j- more joy at that time because I had c- done what they the ultimate thing, right? The mm. ultimate thing. So now I was one of them. I was one of them. And. So that for them was a very joyous occasion.
0: Um, wow, that's so, kind of sick.
1: Yeah, home, <laughs> do you think? <laughs> a little over the top. Um, yes, and I, when I had, when I was in therapy working through that, that was that was the most traumatic memory. Um, so we may as well start with that. That was the top of the heap in terms of memories mm-hmm. for me. And the part of me that held that memory was a part that I used to call Zelda. And now that I'm integrated, I don't have these parts anymore. Um, but Zelda used to give me headaches. Whenever there would be anything that would anchor or trigger a memory, like I went to ch- how this all started, right? I, I was in a church in um, where, where David's parents are retired, and I walked in, and I'm sitting in the church, and they walked in. All these people walked in, men, men, with red robes on. Instantly, I had a headache. Instantly, I am sick. Instantly, I am, I am crying. I got to get out of there. I didn't know why at that point. That that memory hadn't come to me yet. Mm-hmm. So all I knew was I was in trouble again. Mm-hmm. Um, had, had to get out of there. So... Years, it was years later before that made sense to me, mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a time when I was in the kitchen of my house, and I grabbed a knife, and I almost chopped off my hand. And, of course, freaked me out again, but I got triggered, and I really, to this day, I'm not sure what triggered that event. Later, it became that I wanted to chop off my hands because I thought I had stabbed this baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so it made sense. So, you know, you have to really as a therapist, right, you really have to be careful because many therapists would have diagnosed me as probably schizophrenic. And that's usually where it starts. And, and that's usually what the wrong diagnosis is, because the severe trauma piece isn't like I can go in and say, like I'm doing to you today. I couldn't go into just anybody and say, you know, this is what happened to me as a child and this is what I did and this is what I remember. It wasn't there. I mean, I'm. it looked crazy to me. And it, and if you don't have a therapist that understands trauma and how people put it away and how they repress it and how it's, it's lived, relived ab reactions, PTSD people do this too, right? The, the soldiers come back and they have PTSD mm-hmm. and they start reliving the trauma of war. It's the same thing, only my trauma was when I was little, not an adult. And they didn't know that I was in a spiritual warfare. Nobody right. was aware of that.
0: Why do you think it happened in the basement of a church? Why a church?
1: Because I think it's about, again, it's it's a satanic ritual abuse. I think it's the anti of Christianity. And I think that it's, it, for me, and I don't know the answer to that. Uh, nobody's ever told me the answer to that. I assumed it was a way of kind of of saying poo-poo to the to the Christian faith. And it was it was the antithesis. So it was like, ha, 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 you, you think you can do this? Well, we can do it too. And we're going to do it here also. I
0: mean, these are educated people. Like oh, you yeah. said, your dad was a doctor, yeah. an MD?
1: No, he was an anesthetist. An
0: anesthetist. Mm-hmm. But other people, you said they were a priest? Oh, yeah. A Catholic priest? Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah. The people that I think were in, in this cult were not... Th- this is the other myth, right? The other myth is that people that do this are the scum of the earth, right. are the people that are, are the homeless people that, that, that don't dress well. These people were all professional people. These were educated people. This was, this was not the low end of the totem pole economically, educationally, any other form. I mean, these were the bright, bright men, and they were men mostly.
0: Do you think there's cults alive in, in uh, Denver?
1: Oh, yeah, I think there are. Yes, I do. And I say that just because when I was working, I had people come to me um, that were victims of abuse. And at that time, I was just starting to retire and going out and starting to talk about this a little bit more. So um, I didn't do long-term work anymore. But, yes, I know that there are.
0: Wow. That's, That's frightening. I mean, it really is frightening. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, it's terrifying I'm terrified when I have grandchildren with me and I won't let them yeah. out of my sight' <laughs> they don't go with strange people and they don't go with even people that I know very well
0: right. you, you know? know when I first came here to Littleton uh, there was a um, a cult that met in downtown Littleton mm. and uh, and finally that cult was broken up but no it, back I, I knew back in you know in the early 80s, there was uh, satanic cults that were active, but I haven't heard much lately of it, but it's still alive and well. Oh,
1: I think so. Yeah, hmm. I think so. I don't think that they go away very easily. I think they just get more secretive. Mm-hmm.
0: Did, this, did this go into your teenage years at all? Yeah,
1: until I was about 12 or 13 is what I, I believe. And um,
0: Was your mother involved? With your I
1: think ex- she knew about it. Um, I don't know that she was actively involved. I think she was passively involved, and she never tried to stop it. Hmm. Um, When we were growing up, she she became very depressed, uh, very bizarre in her own right as she aged. And she used to often say, I never protected you. I never protected you. And she would say that almost to herself, and I just blew it off thinking, I don't know what she's talking about. I don't know what she's talking about. But she was very depressed uh, most of her life. And I actually committed her because I was a psychiatric nurse for a while, and I actually committed her for a couple days because she was so suicidal. But... She would say that, and I didn't put it—I never put it together until years later when all this, for me, became conscious. And then I thought, she's right. She didn't ever protect me. And I think she was self-punishing—her depression was self-punishment for not protecting
0: Okay. You know, Susie, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you is about my um, belief about spiritual abuse, that mm-hmm. there's a lot of spiritual abuse that is going on. This might sound like an obvious question, but let me go ahead and ask it. How do you think that your experience is a reflection of spiritual abuse? How was how your um, growing up uh, a reflection of people abusing your soul and your sense of spirituality?
1: Well, I believe, you know, quite literally, I think part of their goal was to steal my soul. I think they were selling my soul to, the, to Satan for power.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, i have just seen my jaw drop. Right. Say that again?
1: I, I believe that one of their goals was to honor Satan and s- sell my soul for power. I think they did it because they got power, some type of power. I don't know they what. Believe that they that believed that they got power.
0: By selling your soul yes. to the devil yes. that they got power. Yes.
1: And they've already sold theirs, right? Wow. That's what, that's what theirs was. That's what they did.
0: You know, I'm dumbfounded. I mean, it's really funny. I mean, you kind of hear about some of these things. Right. You might read about them in a book. Right. You know, there's all kinds of Hollywood movies, blah, oh, yeah. blah, 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 right. blah. But I actually look across the right. table of someone who's actually lived it. I'm just like, I'm going, I, right. I, I'm i almost short for words. I'm stymied.
1: Well, for me, I was more than stymied for years. I didn't believe it. For, I had such a hard time with denial mm-hmm. when, when this all, for me, started to the nightmares and the headaches and the ab reactions and the revivification and reliving all of this. I kept saying, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. And every time I would say that, the ab reaction would get worse. Uh-huh. And we had to re- say that. And my therapist said, you're going to have to say, it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe this stuff goes on. It's hard to believe. So once they start saying it's hard to believe, then that got easier. But this, this was back in the day when repressed memories and false memory syndrome was, was the talk in the psychotherapy world, right? So I believe that false memories, everybody was told these are false memories, these are false memories, and I started reading everything on false memories, and then I started doing research on that, and th- then I went, that false memory movement did more damage to me than help. Because I kept going back to that, that these are false memories. So my denial kept, was strong. It was very strong. And to break through that denial took a lot of work from my therapist and a lot of time for me to get out of denial about this. um,
0: Was it freeing when you finally said, this was real, this happened to me?
1: Not in that moment. It didn't, it didn't. I mean, it it's it, I know it's really sounds silly, but for me, I would relive it, i would it'd come to consciousness, the ab reactions would stop, I would get better, life would get better, and then I'd fall back into it. I mean, this was ten years of this going mm-hmm. on, right? Mm-hmm. I did not feel a sense of belief of this until i and I went to the smart conference in Connecticut. They have one once a year, and about a hundred ritual abuse survivors show up. And I went to it a couple times, and I talked at it a couple times. And then I had friends there that are psychologists, and they did a survey in 2007 called Extreme Abuse Survey. And 1,500 people replied. It was a worldwide survey. And I had to go through that to go, okay, I'm not crazy. This happens all over the world. And as I'm reading what happens to these people, 1,500 people that responded, my abuse was the same. It didn't matter if it was in the United States or Germany or wherever it was, it was the same. And it took me to read that a couple years after I was healed to go, okay, I'm not the only one. There are people that come to this conference every year. There's a survey of 1,500 people that answered this that is saying the same thing happened to them that's happened to me. Okay, I mean, it's I horrific it. stuff. I
0: mean, you showed me the, uh, the uh, study, and I just kind of just quickly flip through mm-hmm. it before this interview. And people are talking about sexual abuse, yes. murder, yes, rape. yes. Uh, it just yes. went on and on yes. and on. As far as this ritualist satanic abuse, It was right. it's just mind-blowing right. that people are actually having to live through this stuff. Right.
1: And, and they do live through it. I'm a, I'm a miracle walking, I think. We do live through it. And you can heal from it if you have the right help. And How do
0: you heal? Do, so Because we know that there's a lot of people who are in fundamentalism. Right. They're in closed religious systems. They deal with all types of, uh, uh, types of abuse. Right. How, I mean, some people might be closeted in... In the, the, right. that they live through a cult like this, right. and they don't know what to do, where to turn. Right. How, what do they people do in situations that are that are if they're in a cult? Let's talk about a cult. What do they do if someone is in a cult? How do they find help?
1: Well, you have to find a therapist, and this is going to take work. I'm not going. I'm not going to. Um, patty cake around this subject because this has been a real struggle for me. I mean, I tried many therapists, and I didn't find any until I went back to the person who trained me. And and he's, um, he was uh, trained as, originally as a minister. Mm. And then he got a calling to mm-hmm. to to be a teacher and a, and, a, and a psychologist. So then he did that for the most of his life. But his approach is so different than so many because he has, um, experienced uh people like me that were ritually abused and to find someone that can do this takes time it takes perseverance and you have to be willing to call and say you know do you work first of all you have to call and one of the things you can start with is calling your insurance company and see who's on the list of therapists that is an in-network provider, Mm -hmm. because it's not cheap. It's it's not free. Some people do sliding scale, but that's kind of rare. Um, And you can't ask those questions. You know, I would not ask, do you work with satanically, ritually abused people? That is like, the buzzword in, in the psychological community because there's gonna be a whole lot of people that that are gonna say that doesn't happen, they're in denial about it. You know, denial doesn't happen just to the patient. Denial happens to 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 everyone around them. It happens to therapists, because they don't want to deal with it either. Because for them this is like this is impossible. This cannot be happening, right? Mm. So you have a whole community of people that go into denial about this because they just don't want to believe it and it's hard to believe. I give them, I give them that. I didn't want to believe it either, and it took me years to get out of denial about this. So, And I had to relive every one of the traumas for me to get out of denial. So I get it that they don't want to believe in this. So you have to find someone who you can say, I am looking for someone who has experience working with trauma victims, early childhood trauma, severe trauma, um, early childhood, and knows how to work with trauma victims and Do you work with trauma victims that were severely traumatized as children? Do you work with people that are severely depressed? Because those are the two major um, things that are presenting. Mm -hmm. We call it the presenting problem uh, that you can present and find out if they work with trauma uh, victims. Because a lot of people don't. Uh, When people came to me and I was overwhelmed, I was calling trying to find people who worked with dissociative identity disorder, uh, because I asked therapists and psychologists, and a lot of them don't. They don't don't work with it. So I wouldn't use those words. I would use severely traumatized as a child, severe depression. Do you work with that? Because there are trainings um, that people go to for trauma therapists. So you can look for a trauma therapist who hopefully takes your insurance that you can get to know and trust. This is not you take a pill and you go home and you're better. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't take any medication because it didn't help me. I tried that. early on. I went to someone um, that was a psychologist in a different state, and they wanted me to take antidepressants. I tried it for a short period of time, and it can help. I'm not saying don't do that. It can help, and it helps some of my patients. This sometimes it does help. It is not the only answer, however. My my big bugaboo is that people want a pill and they want it to take it and they want it to go away. It's not how this works when you've been traumatized. The, the medication can be helpful. I'm not anti-medication, but it's not the only thing you have to do. You have to be willing to go into therapy. You have to be willing to stay in therapy. And I'm not saying um, that you have to do it every day for the rest of your life. I did it for months at a time, and then I would feel like I was done and I was doing well. And my therapist would say, great, let me know if you need me. And I could go three months, six months, and I was fine. And then I would get triggered. I'd walk into a church, and somebody had on red red robes and happened to be a whole bunch of men with red robes that I didn't even know was going to be a trigger. And they walked down the aisle, and now I'm triggered, and now I'm back in therapy. So it was up and down. It wasn't a straight linear shot of stay in therapy forever. It was up and down. I was in and out of therapy um, trying to, because I, I I had a family. I had to raise a family. I, I, had, I had small children. I had a husband that had a career that wasn't home. I had to get kids to school. I had to go to events with him. Uh, I had to function. And um, I did, sort of. Function. People would. You would ask friends of mine that knew me back then, and they had no clue. They yeah. had absolutely no clue that I was. Uh, I felt like I was just a zombie. I just was going from one thing to another, and I used to get in the car and say, Okay, you're in the car. Hold the wheel. Turn on the car. Strap the kids in. Go slow. Stay on the right side. Okay, what? Where's your speed limit? I'd have to talk myself all the way to wherever I was going mm-hmm. because I was so. Depressed, and I was fortunate that when I would get ill with the shock or other symptoms that were overwhelming, my husband or my uh would call the my therapist and say, Help, help me, help me, and he'd hand the phone to me, and I'd be laying in the bathroom sick. So, you have to have determination, you have to ask the therapist, Do you work with this? Will you work with severely traumatized? Do you work with severe depression? You've got to develop that trust. And you have to have, I think, you have to have a support system around you. I don't think I could have done this without a support system of my husband being willing to, when I would give up and I would say, you you don't need me anymore, You, you don't need me. He would say, you're a fighter you've always been a fighter your fight and then i could do it again and i did have a day where um i hate to say this out loud um where i was very suicidal the memories were terrible the physical pain was unrelenting i couldn't um stop it and um i really wanted to hang myself. So I talked about, uh, to myself, you know, if I hang myself, my husband can remarry, the kids will have a functioning mother. My husband will have a functioning wife. Um, they'll, they'll actually, you know, be able to cook and clean and do things that I'm not able to do. Um, it will be better for them. It'll be better for them. And I believe that. And, um, and this is a true story. And again, you know, I have to be, careful how many people are going to believe this, but this is true, I headed to the basement. And um, at that moment, a golden light showed up, a huge, huge golden light, this, um, half the size of a the room. It was kind of like, I, I thought it reminded me of a very big person, but it was just a golden light, and it dropped me to my knees. And I was like... Oh God! Now I'm really crazy. I'm just really lost it here, and the light just said, um, "Help my children! Help my children! Help my children!" Said three times, and I went, "Oh, oh no! This can't! This can't! Move. No! I'm a I'm a degenerate Catholic. I just, I don't even go to church. I just I'm just trying to take care of my family, and um, but the desire to hang myself was gone. It was gone. And um, I don't know if I told my husband that for years. I didn't tell my therapist that because I was afraid he'd commit me. Um, <laughs> really, it was true. I didn't I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him a lot of that kind of stuff because I knew, as a therapist, I knew that if someone got that suicidal, you're going to have to commit them. And then I, I used to work in a, in a locked ward, right? So I'm thinking uh, that means Thorazine. That means Haldol. That means shock treatments. That means... All these things that I had strapping people to, I did all that as a mm-hmm. nurse. I ran a, a, an inpatient locked unit in a psych ward. So for me, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to happen to me. So I can't tell anybody any of this. So I didn't. I didn't. And, um, you know, I got lucky. Um, and there was a part of me that said, why me? Why me, God? Why me? Why don't you go out and help all the other people that are this desperate? Why, why, why don't you reach out to them? Why? It can't be just me. People would believe in you more if you would go out there and kind of show up once in a while. <laughs> but I
0: think, I think that's the hope in all this, is that yes. you went through a healing journey. Yeah. You stayed in therapy. Right. You engaged your career.
1: Right.
0: You were a healer your entire career.
1: Right.
0: You re engaged the church. Right. You've been a member of Columbine for 15, 16 years. Right. You- you participate as a mom, just like as we started, mm-hmm. as a as a wife, as mm-hmm. a mom, as a grandmother. Mm-hmm. So the hope that I'm going to hold out for everybody is that you can endure.
1: Oh, yes. You
0: can survive.
1: Yes. And, and you can use your spiritual resources. You can go inside and... And you can just relax, get that brain to really slow down kind of mindfulness meditation, right? Mm-hmm. And and I use that. And I can really, I can really slow my, my mind down. And that's why I do mindfulness and meditation. And I can ask for my spiritual resources to show up. Mm-hmm. And they do. And they will. And they would show up. And then I would get help.
0: Good. Hey, we're at our time. Okay. I want to uh, plug your book. Your okay. book is, tell me about your book again. The title is?
1: Wholeness, My Healing Journey from Ritual Abuse by Susie Burke, RN, PhD. It's available on Amazon in any form that you want. Uh, all the money that, that comes in from this book goes to the thewholenessfoundation.org Um the Denver Foundation runs that organization now. It's a 501c3. It's a nonprofit organization. We give money to uh, organizations that help children that were abused. Um, I have an email at wholenessfoundation at yahoo.com. It's Susie Burke at wholenessfoundation at yahoo.com. Um, if I can answer questions, I try to look at that, and I try to answer questions for people. Um and I, the, the biggest thing that I, and the reason I wrote the book was to give hope, was to give hope. I had many dissociated parts. They have integrated, and that's a whole other process, another day, another time. And they are totally integrated, so I am no longer dissociative. I don't struggle with depression. It's been 20 years. Yeah. Um, 20 years. I, I looked at this, and I said to my husband today, how long, I don't. This seems like it never happened because it's been so long now, and for 20 years, uh, it's I've been integrated and in whole and happy.
0: Good, Susie. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast and allowing me to interview you. I know that this is going to uh, touch a lot of people as they listen to this, and hopefully, will encourage them to find hope. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you.